So glad you're here with us this morning. I just want to greet you and welcome you and let you know that we have been going through the book of Mark. Everybody say Mark. All right, so the book of Mark has been kind of an action book, hasn't it? We see a lot of action languages. You always see the word immediate in the book of Mark. So I like to call it the action gospel. Everybody go, hoo All right, that's good. All right, so we've been in the book of Mark. Um, I've got a question for you. Have you ever watched a team fall apart? Have you? Have you seen uh, some of your Broncos fans? So there's like a lot of deep-seated hurt there from Super Bowls past. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so when you've watched the team fall apart, for me, I had the unique ability or uh, privilege, if you will, to be a camp counselor for a lot of years at a youth summer camp. And particularly, the youth summer camp was for junior high kids. Everybody say, bum, bum, bum. <laughs> and the thing about junior high kids is... Um, Man, they really have a tough time with being a team, don't they? Well, I'll never forget, my good friend Stephanie was in charge of one of our junior high teams. We had an all-camp game. It was called Centipede. And in Centipede, you had each of the junior high kids uh, line up. So they would grab each other's shoulders in kind of a long line. And then they would have to run around. And the person on the very back of the Centipede would have a handkerchief that they would somehow tie on to their belt loop or whatever. And if that handkerchief got pulled off, they were eliminated from the team. And so you had multiple different teams. And I'll never forget, as I watched this uh, junior high team, the junior high kids team from, of Stephanie, uh, the, the thing about junior high kids, by the way, if you've ever spent some time watching junior high kids, they teach us a lot about ourselves, don't they? I hear some laughter there. And as I watched this team, Here's what you can, you can count on in a junior high team. You've got one kid, and he is really preoccupied with picking his nose. You've got the other kid that's very competitive, and he's the one who wants to win, and he wants to win it, so he's rallying his team. Come on, team, and you hear him shouting. And then you've got the other person on the team, the, the kid that wants to impress the ladies. You know, and so he's really worried about what gals are looking at his team, and so he's in some other direction focusing on that, right? And then you've got the one really terrified introvert kid that's just like shaking in their boots because they're around people. And then you've got the one kid who likes to be in charge. You guys know that some of you were probably that kid, right? <laughs> and the one, and then you've always got the class clown. You guys remember? Some of you, if you can't think of that person, it was probably you, right? And they're the ones always trying to crack jokes. Well, the thing about it is, when you have all of these different goals and all of these different agendas on a team, what happens? You completely, you lose the mission. And so they were trying to stay alive and all the while they're running around and they're not paying attention because early on in the game, somebody stole their handkerchief. And I'll never forget counselor Stephanie running out in the field and she's going like this. She's like, we are dead, sit down. And they just kept running like they didn't hear her because they had all kinds of different agendas going on. Sit down, we're eliminated from the game. And I just remember her running out on the field like that. Just sit down, we are dead. And she had to say that over and over and over. But they were so distracted by their many agendas. Does that sound like the church at all? No, right? We all bring a mixed bag into the church, don't we? 
We all have a lot of different things on our mind and on our hearts when we come to church. So today I want to talk a little bit about uh, a house divided. And the next two sections of Scripture are going to be a lot about unity in Christ. Unity in Christ. First, we're going to see the devastation of what it means when we start to work for our own agendas within God's church. And so, uh, let's jump into that passage. Uh, We're going to go into, the the first point is division destroys. Division destroys. You're going to see Jesus, and he's beginning to have this long dialogue with these guys called Pharisees. And these Pharisees obviously have their own agenda. And I want you to see here, In this passage, Jesus begins to dialogue with them as they accuse him and start kind of maligning him, making fun of of him and his ministry, not just making fun of, um, but criticizing, criticizing his ministry here. Mark 3, 22. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he is possessed by Beelzebul, which is another name for Satan. And by the prince of demons, he casts out demons. And so they're trying to explain how Jesus is doing all these things. And so they're starting to say, well, Jesus is from Satan. That's why he can cast out demons like he does. By the way, we learned that he can, he can do that. Why? Because he's the son of God, because he's king. He has the authority or the kingship. He is the king of all. Uh, verse 23, and he called them to him and said to them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom, and here's where he gets into this kingdom divided, if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but it's coming to an end. And so we look at Jesus is trying to illustrate to these Pharisees. First, we have to ask, Uh, especially as we begin to get into the parables. There's going to be some parables in the next chapter, and we're going to go and we're going to pull apart these parables. As you consider a parable, the purpose of a parable, why did Jesus teach a parable? We're going to go into this soon, but I'm going to give you the, the quick footnotes so that we can move forward in this one. Jesus taught in parables to offend the prideful and to invite the humble. To offend the prideful and to invite the humble. Which heart do you come here this morning with? Do you come with a prideful heart? Do you come to God's word with a prideful heart? Are you ready to receive from God? See, the Pharisees are the audience of this parable. And so we want to ask, who is Jesus speaking this to? He's answering the question of a Pharisee, right? Of Pharisees. These were religious types. These were very self-righteous types, very prideful types. And he uses kind of a sarcastic example with them. And he begins to talk. He says, okay, you brought up Satan. Let's talk about Satan for a minute. And ultimately, he's trying to explain to the Pharisees. He's trying to, it's almost like this plea. Do you hear this in here? He's trying to explain, you should be on the same team as me. Because the Pharisees had all said that they were serving Yahweh, did they not? The God Yahweh. They were saying, hey, we're, we're, we're the servants of Yahweh, but Jesus He's, he's not serving the same God that we are. He's, they were trying to say that this is of, of Satan. And Jesus is like, hey, I know, the, I know God personally. 
And you, we're serving, we're on the same team. You should be for me. You should be excited about the healings, about the, the de demons getting cast out. You should be excited about the ministry that I've brought into this world. And so he's pleading with the Pharisees saying, you should be on my team. You should be on the same page as me. But you're not because you've got your own agenda. Now, church, the plea for us today this example is he begins to talk about the, the kingdom the, the, of Satan and how it, it, it's really not divided, but he's saying sarcastically, a kingdom divided falls. Brothers and sisters, Christianity, we've seen this played out big time, haven't we? We've been big time divided over so many different types of issues, haven't we? And here Jesus, he's just, he's, he's pleading with the Pharisees, you should be on the same team. I'm here to plead with you this morning as the church. Are we on the same team? Because there are going to be so many things that come up, whether it's which team you support on Super Bowl Sunday, whether it be which political party or agenda or person you support. There's so many lines that our society is going to try to divide you. And here Jesus is pleading, and he says, if you're a believer in Christ, if you're a follower of him, we should be united, amen? And so here Jesus is pointing out that division falls. Ultimately, they're criticizing the very works they should be celebrating. And here I see this happening in Christianity across the board. I see a spirit of criticism that has reigned on us. We are so busy pointing our fingers at other Christians and what they're doing wrong that we forget who we're following. Have you seen this? There are whole Christians, whole YouTube channels, whole people that build their careers as Christians. They call them discernment ministries. Well, we know discernment is good, yes? We as believers should have some realm of discernment, but there are whole ministries that call themselves discernment ministries. Their whole goal is to just criticize the works of other Christians. Well, that's pretty low-hanging fruit, isn't it? You don't have to look very far to find a Christian making mistakes. You can look right here, right? Christians make mistakes, don't we? We're a whole mixed bag, right? Just like those junior high kids were. We're a mixed bag. And so it's really low-hanging fruit. It's really easy to start pointing your finger at different people and say, this is what they're doing wrong, obviously. And here, Jesus, I think, is pointing this out about the Pharisees. They have the spirit of criticism, and they're beginning to criticize Jesus for all these awesome things that he's doing. <clears throat> By the way, did you know that everyone is asking you to be judged today? You know, like, dislike, on the internet, you're, you're encouraged to give your opinion about just about everything, aren't, they, aren't you? You ever heard of this thing called the court of public opinion? Right? There's what happened in the courts, but we know where the real power is, right? The court of public opinion. When it comes to celebrities, we love to judge which ones are in the right and which ones are the wrong, right? We love to look at our political leaders and we love to say which ones are right and which ones are in the wrong, don't we? And those 24-hour news programs want us to be the judge, don't they? They want to put you in a position of being able to criticize others, all the while ignoring what's going on where? in your own heart. Isn't that interesting that our society does everything it can to keep you from thinking about what's going on in here and wants you to have an opinion about what's going on out there? Isn't that interesting? But here we see Jesus calling out. He says, a house divided will fall. A house divided will fall. By the way, it's good to have discernment, isn't it? 
Um, we know, like you look at First Peter, one of the passages, First Peter, or actually the whole book of Second Peter, is about false teachers. Are we going to have false teachers in the church? Yes. Do we need to know God's word enough to be able to identify those things? Yes. Right? So discernment ministers are important, but within the church, we have to be able to have hard conversations and we have to be able to point things out in one another without it becoming and devolving into division. Does that, is, that's a tricky thing, isn't it? Are you and I going to disagree on some things? Come get to know me at my dinner table, right? My choice of foods might even, like, oh, dude, Shane, that's totally wrong, right? And some things we're going to disagree on, but some things we're going to agree on. Ultimately, it doesn't matter because what we should agree on together that unites all of us in our differences is what? Jesus is King. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Savior. And so here he's talking about this division. Many of us Many of us like to really pride ourselves on correcting different, different theologies and different things. I'll never forget a guy who uh, I just was so blessed by him, but I was so challenged by him that uh, he would constantly try to correct the theology in the Bible, and, and he would do it in such an intense way that he couldn't figure out why everybody would run in fear from him. He would walk in the room and everybody would be like, ah, because he was so quick to be corrective and it wasn't out of a spirit of correcting because loved, but it was, it was one of those, and I know none of us are guilty of this, correcting because he wanted to be right. None of us are guilty of that, right? And I loved this man. And um, I, by the way, it's important for us. I always, uh, I, I'm going to joke with our elders, but when I get done preaching, sometimes I'll walk up to him and I'll go, hey, heresy check. Did I say anything that was unbiblical? right? That's important for us to be continually checking each other. Sometimes it's tricky as a pastor, everybody, y'all, I just want you to know this, because sometimes I can say the truth and, and every, somebody in here could hear it wrong in such a way that it would cause them to believe heresy. That's why I have to rely so much on the Holy Spirit. I do everything I can in a week to make sure that everything I say is in line with the word of God but I can't control how everybody hears it. Have you ever had somebody take something you said out of context or hear it wrong? And you're like, that's not what I said. They're like, yeah, that's what you did say, right? And so it's tricky. We got to have discernment ministries. This is interesting. Why are discernment ministries so popular today? Well, think about the early church. When you go back to the early church, there were a, there's today there's so many small lines of division that have happened within the church that have caused massive schisms. And here we have thousands of different denominations today, don't we? We have multiple Baptist churches <laughs> that can't agree or can't sit with each other in fellowship or in unity, right? Multiple Christian churches across the board. By the way, I sit every, uh, every Thursday with a group of pastors from around town. We have coffee. We pray for each other. Do we agree with everything? No. But you know what? I love them. They're my brothers. Because I know they serve Christ. They serve him as Lord. But the early church didn't have nearly as many small, minute, little arguments that have developed over history. Let me give you a few examples. Anybody ever had an argument over Calvinism and Arminianism? I hear laughter. That means probably. And the ones that everybody else being quiet are like, that just even grills me when I hear those two words. 
right? Those have divided whole churches. Did you know about 20 years ago, there was a wave of Calvinism versus Arminianism that divided churches across the whole state of Wyoming. When I was in, a, when I was a missionary, I traveled the state uh, in a stinky van, minivan, and we went to different churches and I saw the devastation right after this happened. And there were just this, like those, you couldn't put an Arminianist and a Calvinist in the same room because they might pick up the flags and start dueling. It was just, it was a disaster, right? But all these different minute arguments have begun to arise in us. Can you be an Arminian and still be a believer? Can you be a a Calvinist, I'm going to say it, and still be a believer? Man, if you've solved those two things, you're smarter than I am and almost smarter than everybody else in history because we're still working on reconciling free will of man and the sovereignty of God. Those are hard things, and we're going we're gonna to try to jump into some of those things. But I want to tell you, those two camps are still brothers in Christ. If you call Jesus your Lord, you're still brothers and sisters. A house divided will fall. And Satan loves to throw out a new argument that's going to divide the church. Let me tell you, uh, and this is going to go over some of your heads, but you theologists out there, dispensational theology versus covenant theology. Like the two people in here, just like, oh, my gloves are on now, right? And we began to argue these two things because we found minute things. Uh, reformed theology. Anybody ever heard of the camp, the young, restless, and reformed? <laughs> 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 Praise the Lord. That's awesome. You know what? And I'm not even going to tell you where I'm, I'm at on this. Let's have uh, personal conversations. But it's kind of like the young, restless, and reformed against everybody, isn't it? right? They're, they're very critical of everybody. You got, uh, here's a big one today, charismatics versus cessationists. Some of you are like, oh man, my cessationists, I'm, let me just uh, define that for you. People who don't believe in the miraculous giftings and miraculous works of today. And, and if I'm saying this, and, and we should have both in, in the seats today, okay? I'm not attacking any one of these camps. So if you're here and you're in any one of these seats, it's fine. Let's talk. Okay, we can love one another, but we got charismatics and the cessationists. Charismatics uh, believe in the giftings and the in the miraculous power uh, of God working today. Um, you got right wing versus left wing politics uh, and everything in between, uh, and then you've got the arguments between blue and gray carpet. Are you, do you think that the early church had to argue about color of carpet? But we get so bogged down on that stuff, don't we? Right? But brothers and sisters, Jesus said, a house divided does what? It falls. It falls. And he uses the language here. He's using Satan as an example. And he called, uh, let's see, if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end, right? All, all the while he's talking about, he's using verse 24, that kingdom language. <clears throat> We're a part of the kingdom of God, aren't we? When you become a believer, a brother and sister, you're part of the expanding kingdom of Christ. You're united by who? Jesus, our King, right? We are citizens of heaven more than anything else. So your opinions about everything else don't matter as much as your opinion about Jesus. And I'll, speaking of an opinion about Jesus, when we lose sight of whose kingdom we are building, divisions will defeat us. Deeds of the flesh 
Uh, so deeds of the flesh cause divisions. When we lose sight of who's in charge, that's, I, I think when I was hired here, they asked, how are you going to keep the th- main thing the main thing? How do you guys keep the main thing the main thing in your life? You get obsessed with Jesus, right? Jesus has to be the thing that we are crazy about. I think I shared with you before that the early Christians, when they were first called Christians, which means little Christ in Antioch, you know why they were being called little Christs? Because they what? They acted like him. They talked about him. They were obsessed with Jesus. They weren't obsessed with all of these other little like lower tier issues. They were just crazy about Jesus. I want to be like him. I want to know more about him. I want to follow him. What if we were a church that left everything aside just to follow Jesus? You know what? I think we'd look across the running aisle and see a lot more people running in the same direction we would than we are. You know what I mean? As we run towards Jesus. And I love this. So division destroys. Jesus' point and using Satan is that uh, Satan's kingdom is it's like, that's ridiculous what you're saying. A kingdom divided will fall, will fall. And then there's this awesome part in this passage where Jesus low-key brags about how strong he is. Do you see this? This is so awesome. This is so awesome. Um, but no one, verse 27, but no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless his first unless he first binds the strong man, then indeed he may plunder his house. So in this passage, in this parable, who is the strong man? Oh, hang on. Think about it. What's Jesus been doing? Casting out demons, right? He's been casting out demons. And so here Jesus is saying, but no one can enter a strong man's house. So he's talking about Satan and plunder his goods. Who's been plundering, his, who's been plundering goods? Jesus has been plundering Satan's goods, hasn't he? He's been casting out demons. He's been expanding the kingdom of Christ, the the kingdom of light, the kingdom of God throughout the land. And so here, ultimately, Jesus is low-key bragging. He's saying, I'm plundering the things that are the enemies. Can you get behind that? I can get behind that. That's awesome. I love this idea, right? So here he's saying, but no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man then indeed he may plunder his house. You know what Jesus just said? (laughs) There's a strong man out there, (laughs) but I can easily tie him up and plunder his goods. Everybody in here should be, amen, Jesus. Amen, thank you that, that you're strong enough. So what we can pull from this passage is this idea um, of pirate Jesus. (laughs) Uh, Maybe it's a weird, a weird picture, but I heard that word plunder. And it's kind of this idea that we have a ship captain, a pirate captain, and I'm a, I'm a big Pirates fan. I love, I love just the, the, the movies and that kind of thing. And just thinking about this idea that, that Jesus is leading us as the church to jump in his ship. He's our ship captain as a church, and we get to go plunder the enemy. How do we plunder? What are the enemy's goods? What are the enemy's goods? What do you think? People, right? People. The enemy has so many people in slavery today, doesn't he? and here Jesus is saying, I'm going to tie him up. Let's just take his stuff. (laughs) He's strong. Exactly. Jesus is stronger than Satan. And some of you need to hear this today. Jesus is stronger than the thing that has you in slavery, stronger than the the situation that you find yourself in. But what we want to see in this passage as well is Jesus is calling Satan a strong man, isn't he? 
we need to remember that we have other passages that talk about Satan is really formidable, isn't he? He's a formidable opponent. He's a formidable enemy. Jesus calls him strong. And we have passages that call him a lion, seeking those whom he will devour. He says that of Satan, right? He's seeking those whom he will devour. He's got other different titles today. He's called the prince of earth. Here he talk, he's used as the, the prince. Jesus earlier uses that title, prince. He, we, we know that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but what? powers and principalities, right? So we have this idea that Satan really is formidable. He's really strong. You don't have to look very far to know that today, do you? Turn on your TV and you can see the extended power of the enemy in the kingdom of darkness, can't you? But our God, our Savior, our Lord is stronger. Everybody say that with me. He is stronger. Yes, praise God. And he's actually, you know, it's funny how sarcastic the previous passage is because you look at here, here Jesus is bowing his hat to the fact that like Satan's kingdom of darkness, it's actually sometimes united in its pursuit. What, what is Satan's kingdom's pursuit? We've talked a little bit about this. What is Satan's pursuit? He wants two things. He wants two things. Number one, he wants to make sure that people don't hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and believe and be saved. That is his ultimate goal. He's already lost. The only thing he can do is to make sure that we don't receive the victory of Christ. Number two, he wants to make sure that Christians, you guys sitting here, he wants to make sure that you are ineffective for the kingdom. And so he's going to throw everything in his power to make sure that you are ineffective. Anybody have strife in their life? And it seems like the more that you serve Jesus, the more you do the works of Christ, the more you share the gospel, the more you feel like there's some pushback in your life. Do you have that? Some of you is like, I don't know what you're talking about, pushback. Well, that's maybe a sign that you need to get in the game. Because here's the thing, the more you start preaching the gospel, the more you start pushing against the kingdom of darkness and following our pirate captain, plundering the kingdom of darkness, the more you better believe that you're going to get pushback. And some of you need to hear that the reason things are hard, even though you're pursuing Christ, is not because of God making it more difficult. It's because Satan does not like you living for Christ. And some of you need that reminder. But I love this picture again. Jesus is massively stronger. Anybody ever watch the old show, the old movie, Crocodile Dundee? I always just, I get this picture in that movie of like, that's not a knife. This is a knife. And I love this picture of Satan. Like, he's like this little burglar with this tiny little knife, you know? And he's like, oh yeah, that would terrify most of us. But then, you know, Jesus shows up and he's like, man, I have the power and the might to overcome this battle. This is a joke to me. Satan is a joke to our Lord and Savior. Isn't that cool? Isn't that amazing? That's my Lord. It's like bringing a, a, Satan's bringing a knife to a gunfight, right? Um, I was, I'm not going to dog on the Broncos too much, but I was just thinking about how much <laughs> um, when the Broncos ended up three times in the Super Bowl, they lost by over 30 points. You guys looked at that, <laughs> right? <laughs> I just thought, oh, Satan and the Broncos, that's maybe one relation. You can laugh. That was a joke. That was a joke. Don't hate me, Bronco fans. We can still go to the same church. A house divided, okay? 
It's like me arm wrestling the rock. It's just, uh, he's going to overpower, okay? So this awesome little passage about Jesus bragging that he is the strong man. But then we get to this very important call of Jesus. Um, Actually, here, before we go there, I want to just blaze through this. So if Jesus is our strong captain, he's the one leading us to plunder what is of the enemies. There's this call then for us to submit to our captain. There's this call for us to submit to Jesus. See, Jesus is strong enough to handle whatever mistake, whatever problem, whatever hurdle, addiction, sin, family strife you find yourself in. Do you believe that? It's easy to say that Jesus is stronger, but it's another thing to run to him when you're feeling overwhelmed with something. How many of you try to fight the fight by yourself? You're not the strong man. You're not the strong man. You might be able to do it for a while, but you need to run to the strong man who can bind these things in your life. How many of us maybe need, this is a call for many of us in marriage. We got Valentine's coming up on Tuesday and there's this idea that that marriages are divided today, aren't they? You get two people with very different agendas, but what happens if both of those people submit to Jesus? you get something awesome. Marriage is intended to be such an incredible gift if you have two people humble enough to say, I'm going to follow Jesus and not my will. Not my will, Lord, but yours. And see, marriages, they they grow further and further apart because they have their own agendas, their own masters, and those masters lead them apart because a house divided will fall. And so there's kind of this idea That if we both as a married husband and as a married wife keep our eyes fixated on Jesus and run after him and his will for our life, then we can let some of the things go that were big deals, but now Jesus is the biggest deal. And if you can, in your marriage, make Jesus the most important thing, then you can die to those other things that divide you, can't you? Because when you get two people coming in marriage, is that a mixed bag? Yeah, you're both sinners. You both bring baggage to a marriage. The cool thing is, is we serve the the incredible healer of Jesus who can come and he can unite two very different people, no matter what your circumstance, no matter where you find yourself. I believe that Jesus can renew and bless any marriage, no matter where it's at, as long as both persons are willing to submit to Christ. So for some of you who are young, there will be strife in your marriage someday, you young married couples. In that moment, are you willing to say, I submit to Jesus and not my own will? Because that'll be one of the hardest moments of your life. Those of you who are older and have been married some time, you're probably in it, aren't you? Are you willing at this juncture to say, I submit to Christ above my own will in my marriage? Our captain must wear the, uh, must uh, steer the ship. He's the only one who has overcome the world. And hear that. Jesus is the only one who can overcome the world and has overcome the world, not us. So we fall in suit behind him as our captain. So unity under Christ's leadership should bring us all together and not apart. The breakdown has, has to be that some of us are wrong. Have you ever had to admit you're wrong? Have you ever been wrong and then you doubled down on your wrongness? Can I get an amen? <laughs> right? right? That's me. I can't tell you how many times Becky has had to offer me grace when I refuse to admit that I am wrong. But a lot of times when we begin to dwell on something and we begin to push hard on something and we feel like we are right, I tell couples all the time, if you're going to battle your spouse and for us as a church, brothers and sisters, if we're going to battle each other for the purpose of being right, you're going to cause division. 
But if you're going to begin to fight for one another and not against one another, did you hear what I just said there? When you begin to fight for one another and not against one another, it changes our trajectory, doesn't it? We become a united, unstoppable force, both in marriage, in churches. It is okay to be wrong if you back down when Jesus corrects you. But if you double down on your folly and sin, you need to understand, and Jesus here is about to use some very concerning and strong language. Here he's going to warn us that if you don't back down, if you're one of those who's going to double down, even though you sense you're wrong, even though you know you're working against Christ, you're going to double down on your wrongness. You need to be listening to this caution. You're in the danger zone of something pretty intense that Jesus is going to unpack for us. Verse 28. Truly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemes they utter. Everybody at the end of that should say amen. Thank goodness, right? We're going to be forgiven. We're going to be forgiven. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Here's the danger zone. Here's the caution. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying he has an unclean spirit. See, the Pharisees had found themselves in a place where they were doubling down on their wrongness. Because of their pride, they began to despise the very works of God. Any of you have ever been in that point where you begin to get kind of jealous of somebody when things are going right for them? Or you get kind of bitter at them and that seed of bitterness kind of grows? Have you ever been there? Well, here Jesus is telling us that there is a point, there's a line of no return. There's a point where we begin to despise the very works of God. And here the Pharisees have found themselves guilty. And before you say, oh yeah, I'm not a Pharisee or I don't relate to those Pharisees, be careful. Uh, Because I think the reason the Pharisees are so prominent in the Gospels is because they're an illustration because there's a part of us that's a lot like a Pharisee, right? This is a big caution for us. If you despise the rescuer, Jesus, then it says that you won't be saved. See, the Pharisees began to despise the work of Jesus because it threatened the way that they live. You and I are in big danger of that. Did you know that living for Christ threatens the American dream? Did you know that? Living for Christ, living for Christ sometimes is going to threaten the American dream, having everything you want, having that white picket fence, having the perfect family. Sometimes Jesus is going to cause you to call you to take risks, to share the gospel, to stand for his truth. In those moments, you're going to get pushback. You're going to suffer for your faith and you're going to suffer for his word. But I think there's a danger here that we begin to despise the works of God, even in our lives. God does not always do things the way that you and I want them to be done. Amen? That's a hard amen, isn't it? Sometimes God does things in a way that we're like, God, if you put me in charge, I would have done that way differently. Ever had that conversation with God? And I think many of us, we begin to dialogue with God and we get into this danger of beginning to despise God for what he has given us or for the situations that we find ourselves in. And there's a real danger here, brothers and sisters, when we begin to despise God for the things going on in our life. There's a real danger. There's a caution here for us. Do you despise what has happened to you? Do you despise God for what you don't have? 
Do you despise God for what you don't have? Do you despise God for not serving you the way you want him to serve you? Do you despise God for not affirming you? How many people today are mad at God because he won't just tell them to do whatever they want? This is the danger here that Jesus is saying that that, that there's a point where you become bitter and you blaspheme the Holy Spirit and you begin to reject and revile the workings of God, the workings of the Holy Spirit. And someone who rejects and reviles Jesus, rejects and reviles the Holy Spirit, it says that they will never have forgiveness, but will be guilty of an eternal sin. Sometimes God is going to call you to sit down and have a conversation with people in hopes that they would hear the gospel that you don't like. I think of Jonah. Did God call Jonah to somebody that he didn't like? The Ninevites were awful people. Jonah was like, I, God, don't save those people. I don't like them. But yet God called Jonah to that. And he was in, he was in I would say he was in the danger zone for a minute, wasn't he? He was in danger of getting so bitter about what God called him to. Luckily, God was gracious to him even in that moment. Sometimes he uses others and not you. Anybody struggle with this one? When you see somebody have, they're doing the same thing you're doing and they have a lot of success. You ever feel that bitterness start to well up inside of you? You're in the danger zone. If you let that bitterness continue to catalyze, I think of Pharaoh. Pharaoh hardened his heart multiple times, didn't he? Back in the Exodus. And then at the end of that story, who hardened Pharaoh's heart? God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Because every time Pharaoh began to harden his heart against God was doing, that was his choice. But there was a point of no return. And God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Brothers and sisters, there's a caution for here for you and me. There's a caution. Sometimes you are wrong. Are you willing to evaluate self with an open heart? Are you willing to evaluate your own heart with God? Is there bitterness in you that you need to deal with? Because you don't want that bitterness to build up over time to where you start to resent and despise and revile the works of God. Caution, if you criticize the works of God, you are in the danger zone. This is a deep issue of the heart. Are you genuinely, so when you begin to criti- be critical of other believers, brothers and sisters, you need to ask out of Matthew 18, there's this passage on church discipline. Did you guys know that there's a whole passage on what discipline in the church is supposed to look like? It's in Matthew 18, but you know what the purpose of church discipline is? Restoration, not punishment, and not just being right. Your goal, check your heart. If you're going to criticize somebody, if you're going to go after somebody, you need to make doubly sure that your heart is about restoration and not about you being right. Restoration, remember that we're a priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. The role of a priest is to advocate for relationship with Jesus, not to be impressive, not to have people agree with us. So it's an issue of the heart Are you willing to look at your heart and admit that you've got some bitterness that you need to deal with? Brothers and sisters, do we have that here today? Or do you just want to be right or be affirmed in what you've experienced? See, there's this sense of a hard heart, like we talked about with Pharaoh. Ultimately, the religious types of the day were set against the very one they said they were worshiping. They said, I am for Yahweh. And Jesus was like, I'm here telling you that you're divided against him. Are there Christians in the church today that say, I'm a Christian, I'm here for God, but they are quietly working against him. They're quietly nurturing a bitter heart and causing division and being overly critical. 
Their hearts were hardened, even though they should have been on the same team. They should have been on the same team. Church, I want to lead us into a place where we're going to be both discerning and careful because there are false teachers, but also that we would believe all things and hope all things and work with other believers outside of this church because we're a part of something bigger than just this church. We are a part of the global kingdom movement of Jesus Christ. And that comes in a lot of different flavors. So what? What does that mean for us, brothers and sisters? Avoid the danger zone. Would you make sure that you're not overly critical? Some of you know who you are. Make sure that you're not overly critical because that can lead to a bitterness that Jesus is cautioning here. Because you can get to a place where you begin to despise the work of Christ in other people's life if you begin to practice being critical. They were criticizing Jesus, and there's a danger of being critical. Would you lean on Jesus? Because he's strong, and he's stronger than whatever situation that you find yourself. He's stronger than the enemy that we face. He's stronger than the addictions. He's stronger than the flesh that you all and we all face every day. He's stronger than those things. And so we need to fixate or focus on Jesus because he's the strongest. And then check your heart. Check your heart. Some of you need some time of reflection. Some of us, all of us need time of reflection to sit with Christ and ask him, God, is my heart with you right here? And if not, we need to walk in repentance. Here's a quotable statement. Repent early and often. If you're a believer here today, repent early and often. I try to walk in that. Repent early and often. Small groups, here's some questions for you. Tell us about a time that you were wrong or overly critical. Tell us about a time that you were wrong or overly critical. And in your small groups, what part of your life do you need to remind, and you need a reminder that Jesus is stronger? Would you go over those in your small groups? And I'm going to go ahead and have Carol up, Carol come up and play for us. But would you just spend a minute? I'm going to give you a time of reflection. We don't have that in today's. I know as soon as you guys walk out of here, it's going to get busy. You're going to be thinking about Super Bowl commercials. But I want you to just maybe labor for your heart. Spend a minute quietly contemplating and asking the Lord, is there bitterness in my heart that puts me in the danger zone? Is there bitterness in my heart that puts me in the danger zone? Would you just bow your heads? Carol's going to play. Go ahead and play, Carol. I want you to spend a minute with the Lord praying through that. Mm-hmm.